13, all the way back up to 3. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. And some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will not, you will hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of these people, this people, has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I would heal them, should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. For he received the word on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold some 60, and some 30. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Last week, you'll recall, as we prepared to launch out into the word in this new year, we mark time by calendars. God doesn't do such as that, but we do it, and that's okay. There'll come a day when we won't, because we'll be in eternity with Him. But as we anticipate where we're going from here, it's always the case, and it's always right. And it's wise to look at the heart of the matter because the heart of the matter is the heart of the matter. It's the condition of the heart that matters. And we know according to God's Word that God knows the condition of the human heart and we don't. We don't know the condition of our own heart. And the only way we're ever going to get some insight or understanding of the condition of our heart is through God's revelation as it comes through His Word through the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked about last week that there are four types of hearts in this parable. And we, all of us in this room today, fall into one of those categories. 
But it just seems that uh, from a macro sense, look it up and flying high above the church culture of our day, of which we're a part. But many of us fall into the category of the third, the third heart, the third hearer. We talked about that last week. If I had to put a title on this message, it would be Weeds, Weights, and Clutter. Weeds, Weights, and Clutter. And the weeds in the the category three heart, as we talked about last week, are those that are represented by, in verse 22, the ones who receive the seed, the Word of God, but there are thorns in the heart. And they hear the Word and the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches, and the Bible says in another account of this parable, and the desires for other things choke the word, and this person becomes unfruitful. Surely this must be the case. It's been happening in our church culture over time, or otherwise the United States would look like the United States currently looks. We know that the course of this nation is going according to the dictates of a God who's sovereign over its course. We also know this, that because of the um, lack of loyalty and faithfulness to the God of the Word and the Word of God, the Christian witness in America has grown dull and limp and in many cases powerless. The salt has lost its savor. And when it loses its savor, it's good for nothing except to be trampled underfoot by men. The light is not shining uh, as bright as it could shine. And that light's been doused not by the quality of the light itself, but by the carnal lives of those who possess it. We've talked about it before, and we'll talk about this again, Lord willing, but you know, the strength of a lighthouse doesn't come from the light itself. It comes from the mirrors that are positioned around the light that reflect it and throw it out there. And if you want to have a strong lighthouse, you've got to have clean mirrors. And we're the mirrors. And our mirrors are dirty. And we've so bled into the spirit of the age, we look like everybody around us. And they detect little or no difference. The cares of this world, living for things and being concerned about things that ultimately do not matter. When we went through First and Second Peter, the the one of the the things that just came up front and center was this: we're pilgrims, and we should live as such. If we're pilgrims, we should live as pilgrims. This is not our home, and the cares of this world, and the things that we get so uptight about and contorted about, are the same contortion and the same anxiety that's experienced by those who don't know Jesus. Where are they to go for solid truth? Where are they to go? For help, where are they to go for hope if they see little or none of it in us? If we act just like they do. The Bible says that, did you know that the Bible says the church is the pillar of truth? It says that. If the church does not stand for truth, then it will be stood for nowhere else. There's not a plan B. It's not like God has three or four alternatives and this just happens to be the best one. As far as I know, there's no postscript, there's no appendix, there's no anything. It's the church. He has a bride. He has committed Himself to us. We know Him. He knows us. He lives inside us through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
But I'm afraid over time that we've let the weeds of this world be sown in our hearts, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for pleasure, one of the rendering is, and other things so crowd our heart that when the Word gets in, it cannot take root and we become unfruitful. America is taking the course that any nation would take when it gets so blessed by God, presume upon those blessings, and then begin to think that they're the ones that brought them about. And totally forget about the fact that it's God, God who's made provision for us. We've run that course. That's where we are now. But you know what? You expect the world to act that way. The, the tragedy is when the professing church acts that way. <laughs> we don't have anything apart from Christ. I don't know a thing about Him. Neither do you apart from gifts. I don't know a thing. Everything that I know to be true about God is a gift from God. We didn't figure Him out. We didn't come to Him and see our need for repentance and faith. Repentance and faith are both gifts from God. Both of them. And revelation that we have, that we know about God, and the ears we have to hear, and the eyes that we have to see are gifts from God. And we've done what the carnal nature will do with gifts. And that is we take them for granted. We're not grateful for them. And pretty soon we begin to take credit for them. And that's exactly what we've done. We need to quit that immediately. We talked about the fact that last week, that in the parable of the soils, that is a picture of the devil, that he goes over the heart, and it's like bird droppings. Um, and uh, when a bird drops on a, on a piece of grass, a parcel of grass, there are weeds in the droppings. And that's how weeds take root in a, in a manicured yard. And wind, the wind, carried away by every wind and wave of doctrine. And all these things begin to take root. So basically, I guess you could sum it up by the fact that really the crowded heart is the cart that listens to, responds, and begins to believe lies. And we know that the only counter that we have for that, which is the only one, but praise God, it's not that we only have one, it's that we have one. And it's very powerful and potent, and that is the Word of God. Eric, at the end of the service last week, and I appreciate him doing this, weighed in on that and said, you know, if we're going to de-weed some grass, the first thing we do is we put water on it to get it to the point where the soil is moist enough to make it easier to pull the weeds out. And we need to pour the water of the Word into our hearts and get back to the fact that this is holy enough. We need nothing else. We have it right in front of us. And we begin to faithfully respond and receive the Word of God and receive it by faith, God will begin to take the weeds out of our hearts and we'll be able to hear and faithfully respond to what He says. We don't need just the Word of God. We need a Word from God. And there is a difference. A Word from God is a Word that is spoken for the moment where you and I live and applicable to our moment where we are. And we get caught up in all of this and we get caught up in the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, Worries and frets about what the future might hold. And our worries and our frets over the future have almost become identical to the worries and frets of a carnal man over his future. You know why? Because we really don't believe what the Bible says about his future and we really don't believe what the Bible says about ours. Our future 
is terrific. <laughs> it couldn't be better. We have the hope of future glory we celebrated. That we're going to be one day in the presence of God. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin. We are being delivered from its power. And one day we have the hope that we're going to be delivered from the presence of sin itself. It's nothing but good news in the scripture. And the, the enemy over time begins to talk us out of that. So we become worried and concerned and anxious about the very same things that a carnal, unregenerate mind is anxious and worried about. And then we begin to almost act as if our future is the same as theirs. I told you and shared with you a couple weeks ago at the funeral of our Jill's uncle. He was my uncle by marriage. I appreciate what the pastor said. And he said, you know what? For Uncle Grover, he was saved. He's in heaven right now. For those who don't know Christ, this is as good as it's going to get. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? That's as good as it's going to get for you. This life is as good as it's going to get. The hell that waits for you is considerably, infinitely worse than the worst situation that you could have on this side of it. Is that not true? That is true. I don't care how bad it is. For some it's real bad. For some they have no family. For some they're destitute, poor, and homeless, and, and, and naked, and all of those things. And those things are terrible. But that's nothing compared to eternity in hell. Nothing. And so what the devil has done is done what he always does. He's planted these lies in our heart and for, over time, if we're not careful, we come to believe them. And then we believe and we act out what we believe. You and I act out what we believe. Belief precedes change like we talked about before. So we have the weeds and we're asking the Lord to show us the weeds. What are the weeds? And then we have the weights. Look at over Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We looked at that last week. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The weights. <clears throat> Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls." You've not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. <clears throat> We've not come to that place. We might very well come to it, but we're not there. Well, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, not witnesses that are watching what we're doing. I've been to funerals before where somebody would say, we're, there's a, you know, Aunt Myrtle has gone to heaven and she's watching everything that goes on here with us. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, Aunt Myrtle's heaven must be hell. Because she's watching this? I don't think so. I think that this witness is not witness to what's going on here. It's not like people up at the grandstands, the saints of old, who've passed on and they're watching what's going on here. That would make heaven hell. The witnesses are that the people in the previous chapter had a front row seat to witness the activity of God right in front of them. And they gave testimony to the same testimony that we can give testimony to. And that is that we've seen God, we've watched Him work, and we've seen Him work in our midst. We have a testimony. And look what it says. Lay aside every weight and sin. 
it's obvious, painfully obvious it should be, that we should repent of unconfessed, unrepentant sin in the life of a believer. We've gone over that over and over and over again and we'll continue to. That we know that for the believer, as Spencer just shared this morning, for the believer, unrepentant sin doesn't destroy the relationship, but it messes up the fellowship. We come to enjoy the fellowship and value it so much as an act of worship, then we start really hating sin for the right reasons. But look at that. It says, lay aside every weight. I contend, maybe, that we need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, whatever sin that you got to show me, I want to know about it that's messing up the fellowship. But are there some weights I'm carrying that are not necessarily sinful, but they're slowing me down? Are there some weights I'm carrying right now that are basically, in essence, not sin in and of itself? But there are things that are weighing me down so that I'm no longer looking at you. I think that's the context. Something that's ensnaring me, that's keeping my vision and my mind off of you. That's a weight. You remember we talked about it last week and my children laughed at me last week and asked me questions and I don't even know about it, uh, about this. But in the Olympics, you know, the, the ancient Olympics, they would often run without clothes on so they would not have anything to mess up uh, their ability to run as quick as they could. And the picture here is this, that you know what, there's probably some things that we just need to get rid of. Some things that not necessarily in themselves are sinful, but yet are impairing my journey. Because the bottom line is this, I can only look at one person at a time. To look at Christ means I'm not looking at my circumstances. But to look at my circumstances means I just took my eyes off of Christ. I can't look at the same time. I'm not a chameleon and neither are you. Is that the animal that can do the things with the, uh, you know, the eyeballs and go all over the place? Is that what that is? Yeah, and they can go, you know how that is? You know, you move all over the place. I can't do that. You can't either. If I've got my mind and my heart and my affections and my eyes on Jesus, it means it's not elsewhere. But if I've got my mind and my heart and my affections on my circumstances, it means it's not on Jesus. If I'm looking around at somebody else's lane, watching how they're running, I don't have my eyes on Christ. If I'm making comparisons about where I am relative to them that are in the race, I'm not looking at Him. It says look unto Jesus. And it's the unto Jesus like a child looking up to their parent for provision, protection, and help. Help me. I have no hope to finish this. I have no hope to be sustained on this lane that you've put me on apart from you. And by the way, he's the author and the finisher and the perfecter. He's already ran ahead of us. The way has been forged. He's already run the lane. He's cleared up. All the path. So, are there weeds and are there weights? We know the sin part. We don't have to go there. I'm not saying that's not important. But weights. That's why last week I was trying to emphasize so much with you all, especially your younger ones, that at this time in your life, when you are running without any weights, be careful that you don't get saddled down with something. You got a wonderful opportunity, because you know what? I'm optimistic about, uh, very optimistic about the future of the church, because the Bible's optimistic about it. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. But I'm also optimistic about what I see in some of you and all of you, as a matter of fact. And I pray for all of you. And you got this wonderful opportunity to keep your uniform free of things that weigh you down. 
Don't go into debt. Don't go off and get saddled with a bunch of debt. Go, go into it and say, God, I'm going to pay cash for everything I pay for. I'm going to save money and be responsible. I'm going to put my decisions in front of you. I'm not going to get saddled down with things that are going to, in, 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 that are going to get me saddled for 10 years to come. And that I've got to, to, to in effect, that my Christianity is I owe, I owe, and off to work I go. I'm going to give you the first fruits of all my increase. The very first that comes my way is yours. The very first of it is yours. Not the leftovers. Not when we see if we can pay everybody else and just leave some things to you as an act of worship. Not to make you think more of me. Not to make you more proud of me. Not to, not to make my standing in grace greater with you because I can't. But because I am standing in grace, and because of your divine favor toward me, the first fruits of all my increase go to you. Set that habit up right now. I see it. The, 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 there are those of you, the little children among us are taking whatever your allowances are and you're starting to give and you're giving of those allowances. You set that tone and don't ever stop it because I tell you what it'll do. It'll protect your heart. Because this world makes some claims on your heart and writes checks it can't cash. And on the other side of all the empty promises the world makes, there's nothing but devastation. <clears throat> I'd like to know, and I believe, that out of this fellowship, there are going to be uh, future whatevers. Because we've been praying that God would send out workers into the harvest. Just make sure you keep your... You know, Jessica's a swimmer. And I know that, Jim, Jessica, you don't jump in the pool uh, with an uh, evening dress on. And you try to dress modestly, but you jump in the pool to try to get through there to run and to swim in your lane as fast as you can. And you know what? Don't don't saddle yourself something that's going to weigh you down. Don't saddle yourself with worries and cares of this life. I don't mean that you should just get up in a hole somewhere and wait for Jesus to come and not work. My goodness, that's not true. But make sure that you keep Him first. Make sure that He is the center of all your decisions. If God owns it all, and He does... Does God own it all? In the equation of resources, what's our role? We're steward. What's His? Owner. If He's owner, that means 100% of my financial decisions are spiritual decisions. Not 10. 100. Is that true? He's the owner. If we're stewards... Means a hundred percent of what we do, and I'll be honest with you, I think that works for time as well. To give me the first fruits of our time and say, God, you know what? You get the best of my attention. You get the first of my attention. You get the first of my mind in the morning. The Bible says, "Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust." Cause me to know the way in which I shall walk, for I lift up my soul to you. And be before Him. Nestled up beside Him. Sitting at His feet and hearing from our Lord. Nourished by the Word of God. Empowered by the Word of God. And like Nancy shared a few moments ago, standing on the Word of God. Standing firm. Having a foundation that doesn't crumble. The rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. 
with an anticipation that on the other side of it is nothing but great things. Great things. A hope of future heaven being with Christ in His presence, being exactly like Him, not being God, but being clothed with His righteousness, righteousness so we can live in the presence of God and serve Him as such. So wouldn't it be a great thing if we'd say, Lord, would you look at the condition of my heart, see what it is and what it says, and what you've got to say about it. And if there are some if my heart's crowded, I want you to de weed it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be committed to get into your word and I want you to show me where the weeds are. What are the lies that I currently believe and how I've acted on them over time. I want you to expose them to me. And Lord, if there are weights, if there are weights in my life, if there's something that's weighing me down and impairing my journey, it's not your best for me and for the kingdom, which are one and the same. Because what's best for the kingdom is best for those who are part of it. Would you show it to me? Because I sure would like to get rid of it. I sure would like to to uh, be unshackled. And then the clutter. We talked about it in Nehemiah chapter 4. And we looked at Nehemiah chapter 4 and it's something that the Lord spoke to us about the ministry itself. And we were looking at Nehemiah 4.14. It said, and, and, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And we talked about it, and we talked about the fact that Brian and I were having a conversation, and he made an observation a couple of weeks ago during our prayer time um, that I thought, I thought just fit right in with the parable of the soils and what we were looking at there. And that is that before any of them could get busy with building their part of the wall, they were told to deal with the clutter that existed around their section. Verse 10, it says, Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Boy, I tell you, God, deal with the weeds, deal with the weights, and deal with the clutter. There's some rubbish. I tell you, a lot of rubbish. A lot of rubbish is being influenced guided and directed and bound by our past. We talked about this before. Whatever's behind is behind. The Apostle Paul said, forgetting what's behind, I press on to the upward call that I have in God uh, through Christ Jesus. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was. And I'm going to forget about that because the blood of Calvary has taken care of it. Isn't First and Second Peter a great example of all the places we saw in First and Second Peter that he could interject his past failings and talk about them and wallow in them? And by faith, Thomas, he chose not to. You know why? Because every bit of that was taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to look at this in Hebrews ten fourteen. This is a over the years has become a really really special verse to me. Hebrews ten fourteen. 
for by one offering. By one offering. One offering. One. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And at one verse, we see two things that are true because of one sacrifice. Because of the sacrifice that God made of His Son on the cross of Calvary's hill, positionally speaking, you and I are perfect. Perfect. Our standing with God is that we are as righteous as Christ is because it is the righteousness of Christ that we've been credited with. Not some second-rate righteousness that just happens to look like His. The standing that I have with God as His Son and you have with His son or daughter is identical to the standing that Christ has with the Father because it is in His standing that I stand. Isn't that awesome? When you got saved, and when I got saved, Jesus Christ took a white robe of righteousness, His own, and He clothed it with us. He clothed us with it. And now, in the mind of God, we are perfected forever. As we celebrated before, it's better than what Adam had before the fall. It's not the same thing. It's far superior. Because whatever Adam had before the fall, none of us can explain it. But whatever he had before the fall, it didn't stand up under temptation. In the Garden of Eden, he fell. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, when our Christ was going through much greater temptation and consternation, his righteousness stood. And it's not the pre-fall Adam that I got when I got saved. It's the incarnate Christ that I got when I got saved. And it was one offering that accomplished that. One. One offering. He has perfected forever. My standing with God cannot improve because it's as good as it can get. And my standing with God cannot fail because it's Christ's merits that hold me. The merits of His very Son that have been credited to you and I. Isn't that awesome? And He did that with one offering. See, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. We're about to have the Lord's Supper. And we are not going to repeat something in order to make it effective. We're going to have an act of worship as a symbol of something that was already holy enough. The Lord's Supper for us is not to add to what Christ did. The Lord's Supper for us is to celebrate the sufficiency of what Christ did and what cost our salvation came at. And that was the blood of His very Son. By one offering, he has perfected forever people like me and you who are being sanctified. One offering, He has perfected forever those who are currently 
if you're saved, be conformed every day into the image of God's Son. And so those two lines, my position with Christ and my practical living are coming together. And one day, when He comes, or when we physically die at that spot, immediately, those two are going to be one. They're going to come together just like that. And what is practically true of me and positionally true of me will be one. And I'll be holy, not only in position, and you will too, but we'll be holy forever in practice. Because we'll be in a place which there is no sin. And not only will there not be any sin in our environment, there will be no practical sin in me. Hallelujah! And God did that by one offering. He did that. And He has perfected forever those who are on a journey. Amen? By one sacrifice. That's why I don't ever want to miss the Lord's Supper if I have an opportunity to participate in it. I don't want to miss it because we're celebrating the sufficiency of the cross and we're celebrating not only the sufficiency of the cross but the supreme unspeakable sacrifice of it. That God loves that much that God's love would do that. That's the whole message. By this we know love. That Christ laid down His life for us and we should also lay down our life for others. Amen? That's how we know love. So when we sit at this table, we celebrate its sufficiency. We celebrate the essence of love and the greatest demonstration of it. We celebrate a price of unspeakable worth that was paid to purchase and redeem you and I. We celebrate the fact that we are complete in Him. We celebrate the fact that we are perfected forever right now as it stands. And while He's working on us, we have the hope of future glory where one day our position and our practice will come together like this in a great crescendo of praise to the honor of glory of God who took a bunch like us and made us fit for heaven through the blood of His Son. Not through anything that we've done, but all because of what He did. Hallelujah. And you know what? I want to press into that, and I know you do too. Whatever time we got left on this earth, dear God in heaven, not that we would be running around like a bunch of chickens with our head cut off and a bunch of frenzies of activity, punching the air, you know, but that our punches would be effective and be strategic because we're spirit-led. And when God tells us to hit a target, we know where we're aiming. And the power with which we aim is the Holy Spirit who's working within us because He has such a way with us. But it is time and God's message, I'm telling you, it is to me and I believe it's to this church. I believe it's to the church culture. Let's go before the Lord and let's see where the weights, the weed, and the clutter are. And let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. And let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Did you ever think about this? When you're gifted with faith in Christ, you are gifted with the faith of Christ. 
Matter of fact, faith in Christ is the faith of Christ. And so the faith that I have, proof, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live. Yet not I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I have the faith of Christ, and so do you. My faith might get weak. My faith might falter sometimes. But it's because of my response to it that causes it to falter. But my faith is perfect because it's His. And it's His faith that's solid. And it's His faith that got me in. It's His faith that sustains me. And it's His faith that will see me through. He's the author and the perfecter of my faith. Let's fix our eyes on Him. You got some daunting circumstances right now. You got some things that are going on all around you and they're weighing you down. I'm gonna tell you this right now. Let's get let's get to reality. The only only thing, the only thing that can keep me from intimacy with Jesus and the fruit that comes from that is me. My circumstances cannot do it. Other people cannot do it. My situation cannot do it. My standing in society cannot do it. Only I can do it. Because you know why the people who wandered around the wilderness for 40 years wandered around the wilderness for 40 years? Because of disbelief. They would not believe God. They wouldn't believe Him. And they had nobody to blame except the person that stared them back in the mirror. But we can look into Jesus, the author and finisher and perfecter of our faith, and say, God, as I look at you, He's not going to slap you around and go, look at all these things that you've let in your life. That's not the way God works. He's going to say, sweetheart, listen to me. Over time, you've let this stuff creep in. And your heart's full of weeds. And I'm, it's a painful process, but I'm going to take them out. And you've let some things, you've been saddled with some things I didn't call you to do. You're doing things I didn't call you to do. You're doing, you're going places and you've, you, you're embracing things I didn't cause you to embrace. You've got things in your life that I didn't originate, I didn't ordain, I sovereignly allowed, only so we could get to this moment. So I could take you by your hand, show you what they are, and let you and I kill them. So I can be alive in you. That's why we can sit at this table. Because dear ones... It's complete. But in order to experience it, we've got to go before the Lord and say, Lord, would you show me what the weeds are, the weights, the sin, and the clutter. And whatever it is, I want you to bring me out of it. And He will. Because the appetite to ask comes from Him. The revelation comes from Him. And the power to do something about it comes from Him. Because why? By one offering, by one offering, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And dear ones, if we really believe He's coming again, if we really believe He's coming again, and we really believe the Scriptures, then we're going to want that sanctification and that perfected work to come as close together as we can on this side of eternity. Because one day, it's going to come together in perfect unity.
And I thank God for that. I look around at this nasty world all the time and I think, Lord, what must it be like in heaven to be absolutely delivered from the very presence of sin itself and its terrible consequences? Because you know what the worst consequence of sin is? It's not just death. The worst consequence of sin is it robs God of the glory He's due. But the great thing about it is, and the paradox is, is that sin itself gave God the opportunity to display His greatest glory in what He was willing to do to overcome it. Its consequences, its power, and one day its presence. Hallelujah! And that's the hope we cling to because it's a Christ who gave it to us. Now, could it be right now in preparation for the Lord's Supper? I know for me it's true. And I'm asking this for my family too. Right now, as we pray, Lord, would You show me, are there any weights, weeds, sin, or clutter? Would You reveal that to me? Maybe He might reveal it to you this morning. He might reveal it to you this morning. He might very well reveal it to you this morning. But let me tell you this. If He doesn't reveal it to you this morning, don't quit asking Him. Because God does that when He gets ready to do it. And He's the Master Teacher. And He loves you. And sometimes if He were to give you, all the time, if He were to give things to me on my timetable, I would come to regret the fact that He's succumbed to my timetable. And you would too. So, let's let Him gently take us and recalibrate our thinking and show us now this morning what He gets ready to show us and what He gets ready to show us if we'll be before Him and ask Him these questions. Because this is all a part of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We will prepare for the Lord's Supper. One offering.